is the Homestead Journey Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the pursuit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. This is episode 106 of the Homestead Journey Podcast. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me here on the Homestead Journey. My name is Brian Wells. I am coming to you from 3B Farm and Homestead here in beautiful but frosty upstate New York. (laughs) We did finally have our first frost of the season last night. And uh, so things are feeling a little bit more fallish here in beautiful upstate New York. All right, let's jump on over to this week's Homestead Happenings, and I will bring you up to speed with what we've been doing here on the Homestead. The first thing I want to share with you is a bit of sad news, and that is that we did lose one of our piglets this week. I'm not sure what happened uh, on Tuesday when I went out to feed them after work. I noticed that it didn't come out to eat as I walked by the housing. I heard kind of this weird squeaking slash wheezing noise. Um, And so I grabbed the piglet. I segregated it, uh, tried to make arrangements to get it to the vet. But before I could get it there, uh, unfortunately, it died. Um, my, My thought is it may have had the onset of pneumonia but I don't know that for sure. I certainly didn't take it to have anybody look at it. I just disposed of it. But uh, as my buddy Dave says, when you have livestock, eventually you're going to have dead stock. And uh, that's just a reality of it. Um, I am keeping a close eye on my other pigs just to make sure that there isn't an issue in my herd up to this point. Thankfully, it doesn't appear to be, it appears to have been an isolated incident. Um, but unfortunately we did lose, uh, one of those piglets. And so now we are down to one of the six that were born. So this has not been a very successful litter. Thankfully, um, this was not a planned litter. So, you know, I guess that's the silver lining in the cloud, but certainly it does suck anytime you lose any kind of livestock on your homestead. On to much happier news, and that is that this week my son did celebrate his 17th birthday, and uh, so folks, it's hard to believe that uh, it has been 17 years since we brought him home, and it is hard to believe that uh, we are one year away from him being legally considered an adult, and he made sure to make me aware of that, (laughs) little turd. Um, but yeah, you know, folks, there is so much truth when people tell you don't blink, you'll miss it. You certainly don't understand that until you are closer to the end than you are to the beginning. And so those of you who are listening to this podcast, who have young kids, uh, I would say to you, cherish every moment, take time for them above and beyond the homestead. It's not that you, you have to ignore the homestead to include your kids. It's not what I'm saying at all. But just make sure that you keep the main thing the main thing. And um, that, you know, if there's a time when you have to make the choice between the homestead or the kids, 
Choose the kids every time. You won't regret it. Along with that, uh, today we invited my mom and dad and my aunt and uncle down uh, to our house to celebrate Brian J's birthday. His birthday was on Wednesday. We went out for dinner. Then we had everybody down to uh, have um, a meal and uh, some cake. And we had the most delicious homestead meal today. We had one of the smoked turkeys uh, that we had processed a couple of weeks ago. We had some roasted root vegetables, probably the last of those that we will have this year from our garden. And we had some of our own squash. So it was very, very delicious and so very satisfying. And then backing up a couple of days, I believe it was Friday, my wife made this most delicious soup. It was a chicken and rice and squash soup. And folks, in that, the only thing that did not come from our homestead were some of the spices and the rice. Other than that, the broth, the chicken, the squash, all came from our homestead. And again, just such a satisfying and very tasty experience. And it's something that I will be looking forward to over the next several weeks and months as we continue to enjoy the bounty from this year's harvest. As I mentioned in my opening, we'll call it monologue, we did finally have our first frost uh, last night. And it was something that took us all by surprise. I don't believe I saw anywhere that they had predicted a frost. In fact, on Friday, I looked at the long range forecast and there was no frost anywhere mentioned. And I talked to my dad today and he said that he had not heard of a frost advisory. And yet uh, this morning when I woke up, I saw on Facebook, somebody had posted that there was a frost. And so I went out and I looked and sure enough, we were at 30 degrees here on our homestead. Now, in the past, what I have done in our garden is uh, I have waited until I had a frost advisory. And then at night, my wife and I, and sometimes our son were out uh, under the cover of darkness with headlamps, trying to harvest the last few things. And this year I made up my mind that I was not going to do that. I was going to harvest everything while it was still daylight and while it was still semi-warm. And that's actually what I did on Friday evening and Saturday, even not knowing that there was an inbound frost. I spent those days picking the remaining peppers, picking the remaining tomatoes, picking beans and so forth. And uh, I guess it was dumb luck. <laughs> I got I got there before the frost and didn't even know that it was inbound. So it was much nicer to do it that way than it was to do it under cover of darkness with headlamps. Now, there was one section of the runner beans that I did not get harvested. And there were some Thai chili peppers that I didn't get harvested. I did not go check on them today to see uh, what the impact was of the frost on them. So I may have lost those. I'll check them tomorrow. But with the family here, I just didn't bother going to look. Um, and maybe part of it is I just didn't want to know. <laughs> but other than that, everything was harvested. And so um, very, very thankful uh, for that. So that's what we've been up to here on the homestead. Uh, it was a busy week. And yet it was a very satisfying week. And hopefully in the long run, it will be a very tasty week. All right, folks, I hope things are well wherever you are at.
Before we jump on over to this week's Charting the Course, I did want to remind you just to keep your ears peeled in that next month, the month of November, is the month that we celebrate the anniversary of the Homestead Journey podcast. So it was two years ago that we began our journey together towards self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. And so what I have done this week is put together a bit of a survey slash questionnaire that I'm asking you to fill out so that you can help me help you, right? We're going to chart the course of the Homestead Journey podcast together. My goal is to make this podcast as helpful as it can be. And if there are any other avenues through which I can do that, I certainly would love to have your feedback. And for everybody that participates in that questionnaire, and I hope that you will consider doing that, you're going to be entered to win fabulous, fabulous prizes. Now, they may be things like this mug here from Creek Road Pottery, which is uh, like ones that I gave away last year. Thank you, Al Wayman. Shout out. Or uh, they may be t-shirts or they may be other things. And so everybody that does participate in that um, will be entered to win fabulous prizes. And I will be releasing the uh, URL to that survey on next week's episode and then also on our social media. So if you don't follow us on Facebook or Instagram, go ahead and give us a like or a follow. And then um, you will know as soon as that survey or questionnaire goes live. And I really want to thank you for participating in that. And I want to thank you so much for just being a part of the Homestead Journey Podcast listening audience. All right, let's head on over to this week's Charting the Course. So this week's Charting the Course is going to be the first in a two-part series on buying a tractor for your homestead. Several years ago, before I started doing the podcast, actually, I put out a video on our YouTube channel talking about our Coyote CK3510SE that we purchased three years ago. And that by far and away is the most viewed video on my YouTube channel. One of the things though, periodically that I get is a solicitation of a follow-up video. Uh, in fact, I had somebody ping me this week and ask me whether or not I would consider putting out a video, giving my thoughts uh, after three years of ownership. And then this week on Facebook, in my memories, it popped up that it was three years ago this week that we actually took delivery of that tractor. And so I thought it would be a good idea to start by doing a video on things you want to consider when thinking about buying a tractor for your homestead. And then next week, we will follow up with an episode about three years of ownership of our Coyote CK3510SE and whether or not we would buy that tractor again. I think many homesteaders after a while, especially if you're doing a lot with wood chips or you are doing a lot with shoveling out chicken coops and so forth, uh, people have a tendency to very quickly think about buying a tractor. Now, that's certainly not going to be true for everybody, 
But I think for a lot of homesteaders, eventually this is something that at least crosses their mind. So on today's episode, I want to kind of walk you through some of the things that you might want to consider as you are making that decision. Now, we are going to focus on one segment of the tractor market. The tractor market generally is broken down into about three categories, utility tractors, row slash crop tractors, and then specialty tractors. The row and crop tractors are going to be larger tractors, and then the specialty tractors are going to be things like combines and so forth, things that serve a specific purpose. And generally speaking, for most homesteaders, we're not looking at buying huge tractors. We're looking at buying a utilitarian type tractor, thus the name utility tractor, things that can serve multiple purposes. Now, generally speaking, the utility tractor segment is broken into two smaller segments, the subcompact and the compact tractor categories. Really, the differences between the two really boils down to the size of the frame. A subcompact tractor, generally speaking, is going to be more in line with a large garden tractor, a large lawnmower, so to speak. And the compact tractor is just simply going to be bigger than that. A subcompact tractor, it's going to be lighter, but it's going to be a little bit more nimble. Uh, It's going to be able to get into places that maybe you wouldn't be able to go with a compact tractor. And it's not going to have as big of an impact on your lawn, your garden, your grass, etc. Whereas a compact tractor, it's going to weigh a little bit more. It probably is going to have a little bit more horsepower or could have a lot more horsepower. Uh, Going to have a bigger frame. Um, but it's not going to be quite as nimble and it's not going to fit into some places that you may want to take it. So as you start thinking about buying a tractor, um, it's, it's one of those things that most of us, I would say, probably didn't grow up around having tractors. The biggest thing that we've ever had has been a lawnmower. And so as you start thinking about buying a tractor with a loader or a snowblower or a post hole digger um, or forks or whatever, Um, Those are things that many of us, I would say probably most of us did not grow up around. And so it's one of those areas where it can be very, very overwhelming. Also, tractors have kind of this own terminology that belongs to them. You know, people talk about PTOs and they'll talk about hydrostatic transmissions and shuttle shifts and uh, DPF and uh, quick attach systems. Um, They'll talk about different tire types ag tires versus turf tires versus industrial tires versus crossover tires. And I mean, just after a while, all of this terminology can feel very, very overwhelming, uh, especially if you are not a tractor person. Now, I am not a tractor person. I I am not somebody who lives in that realm. My father-in-law loves tractors. He can tell you, especially vintage tractors. He can tell you so much about all of the different vintage tractors. I can look at the paint scheme and know, okay, that's a John Deere, that's a Farmall, that's an Oliver, that's a Case. Um, That's pretty much it. Uh, That's not really my wheelhouse. Uh, And so I don't claim to be a tractor expert. I'm just a homesteader, a guy who did a lot of research, probably too much research, and then went and bought a tractor. So as you start thinking about a tractor, where should you start? In my opinion, the first thing you need to do is sit down and write out what you need. 
one of the things I see people ask is, what's the best tractor I can buy? Well, I think that's the wrong question. It's like saying, what's the best hammer that I can buy? Unless I know what you're going to do with that hammer, I could very easily lead you astray. If you were wanting to uh, put finishing nails into a project, then me telling you to buy a 20-pound sledge is going to be really, really bad advice. And uh, if you were wanting to drive stakes into the ground, then me saying, hey, grab a ball-peen hammer is really, really bad advice. And so the same holds true for tractors. You need to understand what your needs are. Don't worry about what your neighbor has. Don't worry about what your friend has. Don't worry about what your father-in-law has. What are your needs? What do you need this tractor to accomplish? Are you taking care of a driveway? Are you moving wood chips? Are you um, moving sand and gravel? Are you needing to unload uh, full-size round bales? Are you needing to unload tons of feed at a time? What do you need this tractor to do? As you think about what you need the tractor to do, though, don't just be focused on what you need the tractor to do right now. Try to look into the crystal ball and be realistic, but also try to think about what you may need the tractor to do in three or five years, depending on what your plans are for your homestead. So maybe right now you order all of your hay and small square bales, but you want to upgrade to ordering in the next few years to round bales. You may want to take that into consideration as you are buying a tractor. As you think about what you need, that's going to help you determine whether or not you need to be looking at compact tractors or subcompact tractors. So if you're wanting to use this tractor to mow your lawn, as well as maybe move some wood chips, you're probably going to want to look at a subcompact tractor, something a little smaller, a little more nimble, that's not going to tear up your lawn like a compact tractor might. Again, going back to the example of you unloading full-size round bales, a subcompact tractor is not going to get you there safely. And in fact, lower end compact tractors probably aren't going to get you there safely either. But again, you need to understand what your needs are, and that'll help you start determining whether or not you should be looking in the compact or the subcompact direction. Another thing that you're going to want to take into consideration once you know what your needs are is the type of transmission you're going to look for in your tractor. Do you want a hydrostatic transmission or do you want a geared or a shuttle shift? style transmission in your tractor. And a lot of this is going to be driven by A, your ability or your comfort with tractors and B, what you're going to use the tractor for. So again, your needs. If you're somebody who is brand new to tractors, you're going to be doing things on a hilly area or a slick area, um, then you're probably going to want to consider a hydrostatic transmission. Now, a hydrostatic transmission is simply one where you have a pedal that you press to go forward and a pedal that you press to go backwards. And then there's a brake. You might have a high, medium, and low. You adjust the throttle in order to gain speed, but it's you press the, the forward pedal to go forward. You press the backward pedal to go backward. Very, very easy to use. And I think for most homesteaders, it's probably the best option. But if you're somebody who is doing a lot of heavy tillage, and again, most homesteaders aren't, then a shuttle shift style tractor may be a better option for you. 
A shuttle shift is simply one where you would have a first, second, third, fourth gear. You would select a gear, you would put the tractor in gear, and you would go. Um, there's a little bit more to it than that. Sometimes you have to have a clutch. Sometimes you can do it on the fly. It varies from tractor to tractor. But I think for many, if not most homesteaders, especially people who aren't that familiar with driving tractors, a hydrostatic transmission may be the better option. One thing to keep in mind, though, is that a hydrostatic transmission probably will cost you more than a geared transmission or a shuttle shift. And it also does slightly reduce the PTO power. So you're probably going to lose anywhere from a half a horsepower to a horsepower at your PTO using an HST versus a shuttle shift. Now, certainly this does vary from manufacturer to manufacturer, and I think for most people, they're not going to notice that, but it certainly is something that you may want to consider. After you think about what you need and you consider compact versus subcompact, you consider HST versus a shuttle shift, at this point, you need to think about what you want. Now, wants are things like, in my opinion, a cab or cruise control, or armrests on your seat. They don't overall affect the ability of the tractor to do, to do the job, what you need it to do, but they may make using the tractor a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more enjoyable. Now, for most people, in my opinion, a cab versus not having a cab is a want-type proposition. Unless you're somebody who spends hours on a tractor out in the sun, in that case, maybe uh, a cab might be more of a need, or you are somebody who lives in extreme cold temperatures, a cab to me is just a nicety. Now, you may differ on that, and that's fine. That's your opinion. That's why you need to come up with your list of needs versus your list of wants. But certainly, you want to put down the things that you would like to have in a tractor that's going to make using that piece of equipment more enjoyable. Because the more enjoyable it is to use it, the more you're going to use it, and uh, the more payback you're going to have for your investment. After you think about what you need, and you think about what you want, now this is where you need to think about what you can afford. This is kind of that reality check, right? Yeah, and having a cab would be nice, but if a cab adds $7,000 to the overall price of the tractor, is that within my budget? I'd like to have a backhoe, but a backhoe might add another $7,000. So now I'm at $14,000 above what the base price of the tractor might be. Is that within my budget? So understanding what you can afford is certainly a very, very important component and may help you refine your needs and your wants. After we've thought about what we need, we've thought about what we want, and we've thought about what we can afford, there are just a few other things we should consider. And this is where we're going to kind of get into a little bit of tractor speak. So just bear with me on this. In some cases, this is going to be important to people. In other cases, it may not be quite as important to people. But these are things that I think you should be aware of and at least understand before you go start test driving tractors. 
one of the things you may want to consider is whether or not you want to include DPF, which is diesel particulate filtration on your tractor. Now, what DPF is, it's a technology that has been required on tier four engines or above that uh, with more than 25 horsepower that has a greater filtration of the diesel particulates. So remember that black smoke that that uh, diesel engines are known for spewing out. This is supposed to filter that out. And then periodically that kind of gets clogged up. And so it does what's called a regeneration, which kind of burns that off, but it's supposed to be more environmentally friendly. Now, there are some people who think it's no big deal. There's other people that hate it. One thing is for sure, it does add a level of cost and complexity to a tractor. And if something goes wrong with it, it could be expensive to fix. For me, when I was looking at tractors, it was something I tried to stay away from. And so I really looked at 25 horsepower or under because I really was trying to avoid DPF. Now, the tractor I eventually purchased had DPF. It's regened, I think, twice in the three years that I've had it. It's not been that big of a deal, but it's something that you may want to consider as you move forward with your tractor purchase. Another thing you may want to think about is whether or not the implements you're wanting to buy are proprietary to the tractor manufacturer. Where this really comes into play or came into play for me was when I was looking at the attachments for the front loaders. I wanted a quick attach system that would use skid steer style quick attach implements, which is kind of a generic industry standard. John Deere has a quick attach system, but it is a proprietary quick attach system. So that means that I would only be able to source. John Deere parts or John Deere specific aftermarket parts. Whereas if a tractor utilizes a skid steer quick attach system, I could in theory put a Kubota bucket on a Coyote tractor. Not that I would ever want to, but I would be able to do that because they both utilize the skid steer quick attach system. This is going to make it easier to source those front end type implements. And it's also going to be a bit of a cheaper proposition, at least in my opinion, over time, because generally speaking, anything that's proprietary is going to have a smaller pool to pull from. And so generally speaking, it's going to command a bit of a higher premium. But also keep in mind, this is going to hold true if you want uh, a front mount snowblower. By and large, a front mount snowblower would be a proprietary system you're not generally going to find a lot of aftermarket. I'm sure there are some out there, but generally speaking, if you want a front mount snowblower, it's going to be proprietary to that manufacturer. Whereas if I want a rear mount snowblower, then there are a bunch of different manufacturers that make those. And therefore I don't have to buy a Kubota one, or I don't have to buy a Coyote one, or I don't have to buy a John Deere one. Those are readily interchangeable which again means that you have a, a wider range from home to commercial and in between um, various price points. And so I think for the homesteader, those things uh, are very, very important. 
most of us aren't made of money. And so the farther we can stretch those dollars, obviously the better. And then another thing that you may want to consider um, is the tire type. Now, why am I bringing this up and why is that important uh, at this stage of consideration? Well, if you're kind of going back and forth as to whether or not you're going to buy a new tractor versus a used tractor, in most cases, when you go to buy a new tractor, they're going to let you choose the tire type. Um, And there are, generally speaking, four different tire types that you can get on a compact. And I think this also holds true with the subcompact tractors. You have the ag tires are also known as R1s, turf tires known as R3s industrial tires known as R4s, and then there's a new crossover tire that's at least available on the Coyote that's known as the R14. And really what this refers to is the tread depth and type. So an ag tire is going to have a much bigger tread, which is going to give you much more traction, but it's also going to leave a a greater mark, shall we say, than a turf tire would. A turf tire is just that. It's designed to be driven on turf. So if you're wanting to mow your lawn, for example, a turf tire is going to be a much better um, option than an ag tire would be or an R1. An R4 or an industrial tire is kind of somewhere in between. Um, It's got a, a bigger tread or a thicker tread than a turf tire does. So that means it's going to offer you better traction if you're doing loader work or if you're doing snow blowing, things like that. Um, but it's not going to leave as deep of a mark uh, in soft ground as an ag tire would. And then they recently released the, the R14. I believe that's new this year on the Coyotes. I'm not sure what other manufacturers are using them, but it's a crossover, which is kind of a hybrid of the industrial and the ag. Um, again, it's, it's a little bit more traction. Uh, I think it leans a little, actually leans a little bit more in the turf tire um, direction, but I could be wrong on that. But why is that important? Well, if you're getting ready to buy a used tractor and it has ag tires on it, but you want to use it to mow your lawn and you need to swap out those tires for turf tires, then you need to factor in that cost. And that's not cheap. Tires are not cheap. And uh, I actually ran into that with my 1953 Farmall Cub where somebody gave me a belly mower for it. And I thought, oh, I use that to mow my lawn. Of course, I wasn't thinking that you need a country mile to be able to turn that sucker around, Um, but it had ag tires on it. And so I looked into buying turf tires and realized for the cost of me buying turf tires for that thing, I could just go out and buy a lawnmower. And so that's what I ended up opting to do. But certainly tires, uh, and again, some of this goes back to what your needs are what you're going to do with this tractor. If you're going to snow blow, a turf tire probably is not going to be a great option. Um, If you're going to mow, an ag tire is probably not going to be a good option. So understanding what your needs are is going to help you determine what tire type that uh, you're going to want. So after you've compiled this list of needs and wants and things you might want to consider, and importantly, your budget, at this point, my recommendation is to go out and drive tractors. Go to as many dealerships as you can and drive as many tractors as you can. And don't get caught up on color, brand, anything like that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a bit.
but that should not be your driving consideration. In fact, that should be the last thing that you worry about. And I'll explain why here in a moment. But go out and drive tractors. Get a feel for them. You're going to find things about certain tractors that you like and certain tractors that you don't like. And it's personal preference. It's not right or wrong. You may like, for example, on a hydrostatic transmission, a rocker style pedal where it, again, it's rocker style. You put your foot on it, you rock forward, you press forward for the tractor to go forward, and then you press backwards with your heel for it to go backwards. You may like that. I didn't like it. I found that I wanted a tractor that had a side-by-side pedal, but to each their own. You may like the rocker style pedal, and that's great. One of the other things that I found as I, as I went out and drove tractors is I found that I did not like having the joystick for the loader to be connected to the loader because when I what I found is that when it was connected to the loader, that made it so that it was very difficult for me to get on and off the tractor on the right-hand side. Now, there are those who will say that you should never get off and on a tractor on the right-hand side. You should only get on and off on the left-hand side. But then there's also the reality of the situation that sometimes you're in a situation where you need to get off on the right-hand side of the tractor. And so I found that I did not want that joystick connected to the loader. I liked it better being in the wheel well, where if you take the loader off, the joystick stays with the tractor. It's personal preference. I discovered that by going out and driving a bunch of different tractors. My dad and I actually took a Saturday. We started at... at the dealership that's two miles from my home. And we made a huge loop and we drove, I don't know how many tractors that day. Uh, We went and looked at a bunch of different tractors over a period of time before I settled on the tractor that I have now. But I went out and I drove tractors to get a feel for it so that I would understand better what my needs and wants were. And I found that those changed as I drove tractors. But the other important thing about going and driving tractors at dealerships And if you can, I would recommend driving the same type of tractor at different dealerships. So if you have access to a couple of different John Deere dealerships and you're considering a John Deere tractor, go drive them at both dealerships. If you have Coyote dealers dealers in your area, a couple of options, go drive them at both dealerships. You want to get a feel for your dealership. Every tractor forum that I've ever been a part of, people say this, when you buy a tractor, It's not so much that you're just buying a tractor, but you're buying a relationship with that dealer. And by and large, when you go to interact with that dealer, it's going to be when things aren't going correctly. And you're not going to be in a good frame of mind. You're probably going to be upset. And if you have a a dealer that you're interacting with when they're trying to sell you something that's a bit of a jerk, imagine how they're going to be when you're being a bit of a jerk because you've got a glorified expensive lawn ornament. It's just not going to work out well. And not that I'm suggesting that we should be jerks. That's not what I'm saying. But certainly when your your frustration level is high, uh, you want to make sure that you have a dealer that's going to be responsive and is going to be able to help you and help you resolve your issues as quickly as possible. So as you go out and drive tractors, it's going to give you a feel for that. But then also talk to friends and family, people that you know that have tractors, people that uh, have John Deere, people who have Coyote, people who have Mahindra, people who have LS, and see what their thoughts are on the tractor, but more importantly, their thoughts on 
the dealership. You see, the reason why, in my opinion, color is not important, brand is not important, is if you really start studying the compact and subcompact market, what you're going to find is that in many cases, the color or the badge on the tractor is not really the one that manufactured the tractor. There are a lot of companies that manufacture for other companies. Not true in every case, but let me give you an example. Yanmar manufactures some of John Deere's compact tractor line. So if you say, well, I don't like Yanmar, so I'm not going to buy a Yanmar, I'm going to buy John Deere. Well, you could be buying a Yanmar that's just painted green and costs twice as much money. Well, maybe not twice as much money, but... (laughs) So keep that in mind. Coyote manufactured for Bobcat. LS manufactures for New Holland, or at least they used to. And this is something that's always changing. And my point isn't that one manufacturer is better than another. They all have their pluses. They all have their minuses. I think if you're buying a brand new tractor, by and large, today's modern compact and subcompact tractors are going to meet your needs if you buy the right tractor for the job. If you read the forums, all of them have their issues. All of them have their high points. You have some people that are fans of certain colors and so on and so forth. That's happened since the dawn of tractor time. (laughs) But at the end of the day, color, in my opinion, is not as important as your relationship with your dealer. The dealer is the most important component of the deal. And that's not just me saying it. If you look at the various tractor forums over and over and over again, people reiterate that. And that's certainly advice that I wish I had heeded. So certainly not a comprehensive list of everything tractor related. Again, I'm just a guy who bought a tractor. But I want to help you make the right decision for you. And the right decision for you may not be what I bought. And it may not be what your brother-in-law bought. And it may not be what your buddy bought. And it may not be what you think you want. When I went into buying a tractor, I was convinced I was going to buy a Kubota. I thought for sure I was going to buy a Kubota. And now I have a Coyote. So, again, just to go through this really quickly. First thing you need to do is think about what you need. What problem are you trying to solve with this tractor? Not just what do you need now, but try to think three to five years out what things you have coming down the pike where you might need this tractor to accomplish a task. That's going to help you start thinking about whether or not you should go compact or subcompact. So, how big of a tractor you need. It's going to help you start thinking about, do you need a hydrostatic transmission or a gear slash shuttle shift type transmission? As you think through what your needs are, then start thinking through what your wants are. Okay, I bought this tractor. How can I make it more convenient for me to use? How can I make it more enjoyable for me to use? What are the things that I really, really would like on my tractor? Then you want to sit down and think about how much tractor you can afford. And that may mean that you need to pare back on your list. Some of those wants may need to go. 
maybe even some of the needs, especially as you're thinking three to five years down the road, you may need to roll things back, but think about how much you can afford. Think about the proprietary versus the quick attach systems, how important that is to you. Tire type, DPF, all of those are things that I think you're going to want to consider. Then go out and drive as many tractors as you can in the space that you think is important to you. I was kind of on the <clears throat> I was kind of on the edge between subcompact and compact. That I want a subcompact tractor or a compact tractor. Going out and driving tractors helped me make that decision. Get a feel for the dealership. Ask people what their thoughts are on the dealers in your area and understand that color is the least important component. You want to buy the right tool for the job. I don't know what your needs are. You know what your needs are. Don't let anybody tell you what they think you need. You know what you need to do. You know what you need the tractor to accomplish. And so have a very, very clear focus so that you're not buying the wrong tool for the job. If you have any other questions, if there's something that I didn't cover very clearly, or if you think I made a mistake, again, I don't claim to be a tractor guy. I'm just a guy who bought a tractor. Let me know. I'd be more than happy to offer any corrections if I've been incorrect, uh, or I'm also very happy to answer any additional questions that you might have and try to help point you in the right direction. And hopefully you'll be able to buy the right tractor for your homestead. All right, folks, that's it for this week. We'll catch you on the next one. Brian can be reached by emailing him at brian at thehomesteadjourney.net or by contacting him via our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support this podcast, we invite you to become a member of the Supporting Listeners Program. For $10 a month or $100 per year, you will receive access to a community of like-minded individuals via a private Facebook group, at least one monthly live Q&A with Brian, the opportunity to participate in live recordings of the podcast, access to an ever-expanding library of helpful homesteading content, and so much more. Head on over to support.thehomesteadjourney.net for more information and to sign up today. As always, the music on this episode was provided by Audionautics.com. So a big shout out to them. And until next time, everybody, keep up the good work.